Hello, and welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and today we are talking to Bob Tewksbury, a former all-star Major League Baseball player, and we are going to talk about mental focus during stressful situations. As educators, you all know stressful situations well. Today, Bob and I are going to talk about mindset and mindfulness when it comes to those stressful situations. Speaking of stress, we are going to be focusing on stress here at E2E throughout the entire month of March. We are even going to be having a 21-day stress challenge in collaboration with last week's guest, Lynn, from Connect, Flow, Grow. You can learn more about this challenge for teachers or any educators over at educatorstoeducators.com backslash stress. One other huge announcement, I'm so excited about this one, is that the dates for Teacher Summer Reboot have been announced. This year's Teacher Summer Reboot is a three-day event, July 16th, 17th, and 18th. More details are going to come, but we have some new, fresh things we're doing this summer. But friends, this is the teacher event of the summer. Over 16,000 educators registered last year, and we expect that number to at least double this summer. So grab your calendar right now, pause this, go to your calendar, and write down or type in big letters, Teacher Summer Reboot on July 16th, 17th, and 18th. It's all online, it's 100% self-paced, and it's all virtual. Bob Tewksbury played 13 seasons in Major League Baseball with six teams. The New York Yankees, Chicago Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals, Texas Rangers, San Diego Padres, and Minnesota Twins, the Cubs being my favorite in that list. He won a whopping 110 Major League games in his career and was a member of the National League All-Star team in 1992. That same year, he was voted third in the Cy Young vote, He's also a movie star because he, in 1994, had a cameo role in the movie The Scout with Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser. As educators, we can all admire that Bob returned to college in 2000 at the age of 40 to complete his Bachelor of Arts in PE from St. Leo University. In 2002, at the age of 44, Bob completed his master's degree in sports psychology and counseling from Boston University. Bob has worked as a mental skills coach for the Boston Red Sox, San Francisco Giants, and Chicago Cubs, and in 2018, published a book that I'm currently listening to right now titled 90% Mental, All-Star Pitcher Turned Mental Skills Coach Reveals the Hidden Side of the Game. Bob Tewksbury, welcome to the E2E Podcast. Hey, Carrie, thank you. And you know, besides the birth of my first child and my first major league win, this is probably the most exciting thing that's happened to me in a long time. Okay, Bob, I know I'm going to have a lot of friends listening to this podcast episode from childhood that are like drooling right now at that statement. So thank (laughs) you for saying that. I know that's not true, but you are a very special guest and I love having guests from different arenas outside of quote-unquote K-12 education, and then talking about your knowledge and what you've really studied and how we can bring that back to the youth of our country and our world. That sounds good. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward. I've listened to your podcast, several of them, and I'm looking forward to uh, listening to this at some point when it's over to you know, how, just how I sounded, you know, because the voice is important. You said I had a voice for podcasting. 
You do. You do, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) I see why people listen to you, honestly. (laughs) So Bob and I were introduced because he is doing some incredible work with the baseball organization that my son Jacob plays for and that my husband Brian coaches with. And I have to admit to all of you, you probably already know this, but two of the happiest places on earth for me personally are in any auditorium watching my daughter dance and on the side of the baseball field where my son is usually pitching or playing shortstop. And I'm so happy in those places because my children are happy in those places. And not only do I get to see them full of that joy on their journeys through what they love, but I also get to watch them learn some of the most important lessons of their young life. When I started to look closely at the work Bob is doing with athletes of all ages, but especially at the age of my 13-year-old son, I couldn't help but think about classrooms and teaching. A lot of the work Bob is doing with athletes is the same work you are doing and trying to do in your classroom. Today, Bob and I are going to discuss mental focus during tough situations. This work can apply to you as a human being, as a teacher in your own mental health, but also can trickle down into the lessons we teach our students. So our three topics today, our subtopics are going to be expect that stressful situations will happen. I love that. How perceptions change your inner voice. And we're going to wrap up talking about breathing. So Bob, let's throw out the first pitch and get things going. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So let's talk first about Expect that stressful situations are going to happen. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think, you know, it it amazes me. I I have a couple, I have a real life story and then I'll have a baseball analogy. But I remember I was on a plane. I, you know, flew for years and years and years. And I was on a plane. It always amazed me that, you know, most of the time things go without a hitch. I mean, the luggage that you check in is there in the city that you land. you know, yes, it may not come out immediately and you may have to wait for it, but the fact that it's there, you know, is great. And I remember I let a, an older woman, she had to been 70s, I'm guessing, very nice woman, but she got out on the, in the aisle and she said something like, oh, my luggage will probably be late like it all, or never, it won't be here like it always is, or never, it, it won't be here like it never is. It's always late or it's always missing. And I thought, hmm, I said, you know what, you know, it's amazing to me is that it's there at all, you know, with all that's going on and all the bags and that, you know, but sometimes it happens, you know, sometimes the flight gets delayed, sometimes the bags aren't there. And to expect that that could be something that happens. And, you know, obviously she was, she was expecting it, but she was complaining about it. And I think from a baseball perspective, when I was a young pitcher, when I had men on base, second base, third base, they were threats to score. And I would freak out like, oh, my God, look, I I wish I wasn't in this situation. You know, they're going to score. You know, my bags are going to be missing, whatever that, you know, uh, inner voice talked about. And, And then I would be nervous. I'd be anxious. I wouldn't perform as well. And as I got to be older, I expected those situations to happen. I went into a game expecting that there were going to be situations in a game. And as a matter of fact, 
I figured out that there'd be two to three, if I pitched seven innings in a game, there'd be two or three of those situations that were going to happen that I should expect to happen. And if they didn't, that means things were going really, really well. But generally, they were going to happen. So my perception of the event went from, oh, my God, I hope they don't score, to, oh, I knew this was going to happen. How am I going to deal with it? And Mm -hmm. I think that, so that made it a lot better. And I even talked to athletes, you know, about baseball players about, or you could put it in any situation. You know, golfers are going to have bad lies. Uh, They're going to have a ball and a divot. Uh, Baseball players are going to have calls against them at the plate that aren't fortunate. You're a tennis player. What happens to you that's unfortunate that you should expect? Right. Like a bad call from the other team when I know my serve was on the line and they call it out, right? That's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of being all up in arms about it, you're like, all right, well, I knew that was going to happen, so I'll deal with it. So I just think that, you know, that creates a perception, uh, which we'll get into. But, you know, the other thing with that is, and I know I made note of this in, in the notes, was, you know, many years ago, I read The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. And I think when you sent me the the modules or to to have the discussion points, I remember the first sentence of that book. He says, life is difficult. And once you accept that fact, it becomes easier. And I think that's what happens is, you know, oftentimes we we want everything to go perfectly smooth. and, And when it doesn't, we get really upset. I just think that we should expect challenges uh, it's much more welcome way to overcome them than fighting them. Well, and I think that Bob is so true for like the small things and the big things in life. I think, you know, I share a lot on this podcast, how much loss I experienced mm. before the age of 40. I, I mean, I experienced the loss of both my siblings that I grew up with, you know, all this loss. And my perspective on that is, yeah, it's awful. <laughs> I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but everyone's going to lose their siblings at some point or your siblings are going to lose you. And like for me, I'm like, well, it just happened to me way earlier in life than it does to most people. And I can use that to help others. Right. And so, but I also think it applies to the small things in life, such as the daily lessons teachers are teaching in their classroom to their students that. Teachers suffer from perfectionism, and I have to imagine professional athletes sometimes suffer from that too. Is that true, Bob? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, you create these expectations of, you know, how things should be, and when they don't happen that way, you get angry, you get upset, you get, you know, it just messes up your whole day. And and I listened to your podcast the other day about that, you know, you woke up to go play tennis, and you know, something happened and you ended up having, oh, you felt bad about your body and you were Yes, I was aging. Yeah. Yeah. And you felt awful and you made yourself awful. Yep. And, you know, and I love that episode uh, because it was so real and so human. And I think, you know, that's what happens. I think, you know, we have to expect that something's going to happen because nothing is going to be perfect. The, The lesson plans you know, what do they say? The best laid plans, you know, I forget what that, how, help me out, Carrie, how that goes, <laughs> best laid plans. Best I don't know. We can come up with something. Well, I I see where you're going here and it's, it's perfect for teachers because 
it's interesting. Like I think about a major league baseball player. I'm thinking about you on the mound on those like, you know, important games where like sometimes the whole world was seemed to be watching you if they weren't right. Like so many people watching you, that's a lot of pressure and teachers are standing up in front of students. And and I talk sometimes teachers teaching can be isolating because there's all these like amazing things you're doing, but no one's seeing them. I mean, the kids are seeing them, right? But you don't have this audience that's like applauding every time a lesson goes well or a kid has an aha moment. But teachers do try to plan out their week perfectly and fit as much as they can in. And, and my advice to what you're saying here is you plan that perfect lesson. You plan that perfect unit, but you better plan a buffer for things to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Just like that travel story you said, I traveled a lot for work if you appreciate when things go right and acknowledge that and you have a plan B if things are going to go wrong, I think you're in such a better place mentally. No, no, totally. No question. And I think when you just said that about teachers, I, I've always said this, that, you know, men, they, people ask me about mental skills. Coaching is similar to teaching um, and it's similar to parenting. And what I mean by that is, you know, it oftentimes very lonely because you're you're doing this work that is, you know, one on one, or oftentimes by yourself, or through a, on the phone or something with clients or children or whomever. So the teachers and the mental skills coaches have something in common, and they ask me, you know, how do you know that you've done something well? And I said, you don't. It's not like they go around. You know, the students don't go to the teachers and say, God, Mrs. Smith, you did a great job today. That was the best lesson plan ever. So much you met myself. those objectives well, teacher. Yeah. Good. Oh, my goodness. This, I'm going to go tell all my kids about this. And I'm, oh, this is so cool. That, that doesn't happen. And you don't, you know, your son and daughter don't come up and say, Mom, you did the best job parenting today. God, that was so good. <laughs> And I don't, you know, and I don't get that feedback. So we don't get that applause. But when we do, and this is something that I think that I have in common with teachers and in general is you do it for the love of, of in this education, I do it for the love of helping people perform, knowing what they're going through. Yes. Uh, and all you need is at some point is somebody to say thank you or somebody to acknowledge it because i think we're like black labs i think humans are like black labs you give them a little food and a pat on the back and they'll run forever yeah and (laughs) you know and and so the teachers don't and that's what i think you're saying you don't it's a very lonely uh it can be isolating with you know who gives you the positive feedback you know um certainly you do get some but i i think and this just gets into another thing i think administrators people that are uh, above, it could be a GM in the baseball team. It could be a head coach. People in authority really could do a, a service to their um, employees if they just took a moment and said thank you. Yeah, or acknowledging the failure too. I think that's part of why maybe we do want to try to be perfect all the time. Is I mean, as an entrepreneur, I fail all the time. I fail fast and I get over it. Like, but that's part of me maturing and having this wisdom over the years. But I think like it is your, if your leadership is okay, like, Hey, you failed today. What are you going to learn from it? Let's move forward. The failure actually can be a celebration. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we use the term, so what, now what? You know, mm-hmm. uh, so what, you failed, now what are you going to do about it? And, oh, I love that. Yeah, Already. and I think you're right. I mean, you have to keep moving. So anyway, that I think going back to the, the original point is we should expect that things aren't aren't going to go well and that, you know, that that's okay. It could be something that is out of our control. It could be something that wasn't our control, but it always comes down to, okay, so what, now what? Because that ultimately gives you control over what happens. Bob, I want to ask you a question that I wrote down while you were talking. In baseball, can you explain to our non-baseball listeners what a perfect game is in baseball? Yeah, a perfect game in baseball means that, you know, in major leagues, there's nine innings, there's three outs an inning per side, so there's 27 outs. So that means that 27 hitters come to the plate and no one reaches base by a hit, uh, a, a walk, or an error. And so there's only been about 24 or 25, I think, in Major League history. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't realize that number was so low. Wow. So, yeah, it's very low. Yep. And there's only been one in the World Series. Uh, and there probably will never be another one because of the, the way that relief pitchers are used now. But Don Larson with the Yankees threw a perfect game in the World Series, which talk about a pinnacle of <laughs> success. Wow. Well, it's interesting. But is a perfect game really a perfect game? I mean, can't you as a pitcher still make mistakes in this perfect game? Absolutely. It's still called a perfect game? No. And you know what? That is such a good point because I had a near perfect game. Um, I had 21 consecutive outs, no walks, and I gave up a hit uh, leading off the eighth inning, and I finished with with a one hitter. And I beat myself up over that one pitch for a long time. And I thought, I thought about that one pitch that, you know, it could have been a foul ball. It could have been an out. It could have been anything. But I don't think about all the pitches that I didn't throw perfectly that were outs. Yeah. We magnify that one little thing. And so, yeah, perfection is, you know, I think it's, it's it's unattainable. It's something to strive for, to to be, you know, Tom Brady would be an example of someone as a perfectionist that's, you know, won seven Super Bowls, but he doesn't throw every ball perfectly. No. Um, he doesn't he does read not. every defense yeah. perfectly. So, you know, I think we strive for perfection and then we understand that when we don't reach that, that that's okay. Yep. That it doesn't mean you've failed. It doesn't mean you're not good. It doesn't mean you're flawed. It just meant, well, you know what? I set high standards and I did this. And to celebrate the successes of that, not uh, looking at it from that of failure, of it didn't go perfectly. Well, I think that leads right into this idea of your inner voice, which, gosh, I mean, I think back, I don't know when I ever, I was in the last 10 years, have I really understood how much our inner voice is impactful on us? Like we were never taught as a kid that type of emotional intelligence and to pay attention to the conversation that's going on in your mind and in your head. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about that as a baseball player and, and as a coach? Yeah. You know, I, I call it, I've referred to the that inner voice as the little man. 
Or little woman, right? Little like if woman, I... <laughs> a little, little person, correct. Correcting yeah. <laughs> me, yes. A little, uh, a little evil voice. How's that? No, I like that. I wasn't correcting you, Bob. I was just saying that you could choose. Is you're a little man, a little woman, a little you're, person? You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's your teacher coming out in you. I'm oh. sorry, Bob. Gosh, gosh, people are going to be mad at me. They're like, how could you correct Bob Tewksbury? <laughs> But you know what? I feel like that's why you and I actually get along is because you know I'm not, you know, I'm. No, I'm you're so, you're, this is great, you know. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that we have the same sense of humor and the same, we're, we're talking the same language. Okay. So I call that voice, you know, the little man in, in this case. And it's so critical. It can be so critical. And it's critical in a lot of ways. One, you know, I expect when you create a, a case of shoulds, my bags should be there every time. Nobody should cut me off in traffic. Nobody should cut me in line. Nobody should do this. So when you create a case of the the shoulds, you know that voice has a response. Uh, if you you know don't you know golfers or tennis players, I would say don't. If you hit your your first serve out, the next one's important. How many times have you seen people double fault? And I bet they were thinking, don't double fault. <laughs> yes. That is one of the things as a tennis player that they say is you absolutely should not be saying in your head is don't double fault. It's like the worst thing you can say on a second serve to no. yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, because that's that that's that negative voice. That's the, the little man voice. Uh, it's based on, you know, fear. It's based on... Uh, failing. It's based on what other people think. It's based on judgments. Oh my God, if I double fall, what are people going to think? Yeah. Um, and so, so I really work with players and uh, people in general, you know, correcting people, especially my golfing buddies, because we'll play golf and four of us will be on the green. And, you know, the guy that's furthest away has a putt and say he's 15 feet away, and when he hits his putt, it goes 15 feet past the hole, and he'll go, well, I didn't want to leave it short. I'm like, well, you didn't. You hit it further past the hole when you, when you started. Um, but that's because he was thinking, don't leave it short. So anyway, I think learning how to listen to that voice and, aha, there's the voice. And you said this the other day on the podcast I listened to. There's the voice. What am I saying? Where's this coming from? And to be able to change it. And in the case of, you know, it's reframing those thoughts. So in case, instead of don't double serve, it would be, you know, okay, right to the corner of the box, you know, yeah. or, you know, nice and easy or smooth and easy or something. You would say something that yeah. would. I say through the window, like I picture know. a window yeah. right above the net, like hit through the window is oh, what I that's do. That's great visual. Yeah. Oh, thanks. You know what people said about my pitching carry is that I threw so slow I couldn't break a window. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if you listen to your book, who was it? Oh, I'm sorry. I have a really hard time retaining names. <laughs> I really do. Okay. You were talking about in your book, you were pitching to someone and you were throwing like really slow to them and you struck them out and they were so mad at you. And you went Bell. up to them in the locker room afterward. Yes, Albert Bell. He played for the White Sox. And so I threw this pitch, the EFAS pitch, and I threw it 47 miles an hour at a big, what? Yeah, you know, like a big looping softball pitch. <laughs> and I threw it to him uh, with 
three and oh, three balls, no strikes. And I threw threw it. He took it. I threw it three and two. And he took it. And I threw it. Uh, I'm three and one. And I threw it three and two. And he swung at it. And he really he hit it about three inches up from where his hands grabbed the bat. Oh wow! And he hit this little broken bat looper to short, and um, he was so mad. He was standing on the top step of the dugout, and I didn't see this, but the next hitter went up to the catcher. And he goes, "Hey." Um, Tell Tukes he might need an escort to his car after the game. Oh, I bet that actually probably felt really. I mean, how'd you feel? Because in my mind, I'm competitive. And like to get under your opponent's skin like that, I think would be like fabulous. But how did you feel about that? Oh, I laughed. I thought it was great. You know, um, I thought it was hilarious. And it was, but yeah, so I, I think that. Um, Anyway, we're talking about not throwing hard to uh, to windows, to pitching, to language. <laughs> well, well, I think this is like, I mean, actually, okay, we're going to take a little bit of a turn here. But I think one of the things that teachers and baseball pitchers have in common is, okay, you have as a teacher, you have so many people that are critical of you off of like a snap judgment. Well, let's not even start talking about parents, especially during this pandemic, but Man, you can get one nasty email from a parent in the middle of the day when you, you know, you're teaching, you run over to your desk to get something and you see a parent's emailed you and you look really quick at it and it's some nasty email and man, can that turn you down? Mm. The ripple effect of that of the way you feel about yourself, it affects your teaching and how you are treating the kids. Like there's things like that. You can have an administrator like pop in your room for a surprise observation at the worst possible moment. I mean, there are so many things that can really make that inner voice go crazy and go down a negative path. And I can only imagine that as a major league pitcher, you're on that mound and you hear, I don't know if you hear the fans or you hear a comment or something like there's gotta be all these things that you have to learn how to block out, including that inner voice. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, those are, those are things that can set you off that, you know, can be managed. So I guess it comes down to how do we respond to that? One of the things that, you know, we talk about in athletics is, you know, you can control your approach and you can control your response, but you can't control the result of what happens. Mm. So that email to the, to the teacher or a surprise pop in uh, visit by somebody uh, can trigger you to, you know, uh, or, you know, a first guy of the game hits a triple. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. you know, now I'm in big trouble. So it can trigger this this emotional system that, you know, you want to respond quickly. You want to respond maybe angrily. You want to respond, uh, you know, with some action that may not be the best action. So this is where the awareness comes in of that voice and the pause to be able to go, all right, let's take a breath. I know we'll talk about that, but let's step away from this. And is this something that I need to deal with right now? No. Okay. Going to let it go and deal with it later. You know, as a baseball player, there are those things that happen, you know, prior to a game that as a pitcher can set you off. For example, if, you know, you get ready to go out to warm up and it starts raining and they pull a tarp and now you get, now you're going, oh God, when are we going to start? 
you know, uh, I don't, how long are we going to sit around? I don't know. It messes up your whole routine. Or, you know, you might have packed your bag for the, for a trip and forgot to bring your, your pitching, your favorite spikes. And, you know, oh my God. So now I got to figure it out. So what now what? You know, it keeps coming back to that. And, um, but yeah. So what would you say to yourself in that game? First pitch, guy makes it to third. Yep. And you're saying to yourself, so what now what like take us now, through as a young player as a young player i was like oh my god this guy is gonna you gotta be kidding me the first guy of the game it's a triple i'm gonna give up a run you know what's lou Pinella, the manager gonna think or what's gonna happen <laughs> and then as i get older i said okay you know i'll give up the run uh, it's it's early in the game i don't care if this guy scores i'm gonna I'm just going to get the next three guys out and scores. So you you learn how to manage the situation. You know, you let go of the concern for consequence. I think, you know, I know we talked about the, you know, the inner game of tennis. Um, That's a great book. And at the end of the book, the author talks about abandoning, abandoning concern for consequence. And I just think that's a beautiful line because that's what we all have to, you know, think about is that pause of, you know, okay, this happened. I don't have to react emotionally to it. I can react rationally to it. And when's the best way for me to react rationally is to not respond to this email right now. It's not Mm. for me to not get angry at the umpire. It's not for me to, you know, worry about what, Lou Pinella's thinking. I really like that. And I remember, I don't know if it was when you were talking to the boys or it was in your book, but you were talking about like the action of like rubbing your foot on the back of the pitcher's mound of the, what's the white thing called, Bob? Oh, the the pitching rubber. Yeah. The pitching rubber. Thank you. Like you were talking about like rubbing your foot on there and like letting go of negative thoughts. Yeah. Swiping the, yeah. Swiping it like I was erasing the blackboard or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've been using that myself in my tennis game when I'm being served to under a high pressure situation. I like to move my feet anyway to kind of throw the person off. But like, I'll say stuff like one ball, one ball and like swipe my feet because I'm trying to think it's like one ball at a time, just focus on one ball at a time. And I think going back to teaching here, like there's so many parallels. If you got that email, you could go up to your picture of your family on your desk and or tell the kids we're going to take a little break and put on your favorite song and look around at those kids' faces or look at that picture of your family on your desk or a card that a student gave you and say, know the reason I'm here. Know the reason I'm here. Or some kind of a phrase that you can say to yourself when something heats you up is like to recenter yourself, like why you're a teacher in the the first place, why you love that job. And like, try to get that little voice, try to get that, whatever it is that's setting you off and get back to that positive place not only for your kids, but for your own mental health. Like that is not good for you physically to be in that place of anger or being upset for very long. No. And, and along that lines, I think it goes back to, you know, teachers should expect that that's going to happen. Right. How many teacher has, how many, who has ever gone through a teaching career and has not had somebody pop in on them or gotten a, uh, angry response from a parent or, uh, you know, and, and those are, you know, the responses from parents are sure 
I'm sure there's a lot of good ones in the parent-teacher meetings, yes. but I'm sure there's a lot of very bad bad ones. But you should expect those. And then you can go, aha, <laughs> you know, I knew that I was going to get a note today from John <laughs> Yep. And uh, phew, you just laugh at it. You know, I, I remember I talked with a sports psychologist many, many, many years ago named Kate Hayes. And she works with, um, she's in Toronto now. She it was the first sports psychologist I talked to, and she, she works with uh, performing artists now. But I remember one thing that um, she called it the 530 stumble. Uh, and she said that, you know, like in reference to walking down the street and you trip over something and instead of going, oh, my God, how stupid was I? I didn't even see that there. You know, <laughs> instead of going, oh, that's my 530 stumble. So what? You know, you just reflect yeah. something like, ah. That's my stupid email. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know. Oh, that's my one parent that always, yeah, yeah, that's so yeah. true. You just kind of like let it go. I mean, it's one thing I've shared. Like you just cannot make everyone happy, no matter what you are doing in this world, whatever your job. There are people listening to this podcast right now that can't stand my voice. Like there are, you are never going to make everyone happy. So the more that we can like let that stuff go. You know, like yep. if you don't like the sound of my voice, like push pause and don't listen to the rest of my podcast. Like <laughs> toodaloo, so long, farewell. Like, yep. and gosh, what if we could get into a place where we could live most of our life, you know, in that in that manner, we would just be so much happier inside. Yes, we would be in it, but it's always a work in progress. You know, I think that yeah. once we get to that point, it doesn't stay. It, it It's constant work and it's the ebb and flow of, you know, yeah, I had a good day. I had a good week. You know, I didn't respond to that so well today. I got to do a better job of that tomorrow. And that's where self-compassion comes in, you know, especially like over the holidays where we have a tendency to eat and drink too much and you feel awful. And yep. And to, to just say, you know what, today was a bad day. I'll do better tomorrow and give yourself some love, you know? Yeah. And even professional athletes, need that too. Absolutely. Like they're human too. I think that's one of the things I just keep saying when I'm listening to your book, which by the way, um, I really love listening to books that are like outside of my knowledge. So I think I don't even, if, even if you don't even know anything about baseball and you're a teacher, like Bob's book is so great to listen to. But one of the biggest takeaways for me and for Jacob, my son, we were listening it together in the car is like professional athletes are real people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teachers are real people that struggle with things. Mm-hmm. You know, they get put on a pedestal a lot. Teachers do too, right? Yeah. And so people no, think, absolutely. oh, I can just knock them down. Who cares? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my some of my my closest relationships with adult men were from when I was in high school. My high school principal is still a dear friend. Uh, he's 79 now. My uh, high school baseball coach is a dear friend. And then the, my physical education teacher was who unfortunately passed away at the age of 64. But, you know, these men were formative to me in my years. And, and, and that's why I think teaching is so important to, I thank all the teachers out there, thank them for what they're doing in these hybrid systems and uh, dealing yeah. with what's going on, because it's really a hard job. But the connections that you can make with with young people last, last a lifetime. And I'm, I I wouldn't be where I am or having had the career that I had, if it wasn't for those three men, all of whom I met 
when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. So yeah. Yeah. You would still be working in that factory, right? If it was one factory. of them. Oh, <laughs> I just know too much about you now, Bob. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> That's for another podcast. Yeah, let's sure. let's talk about breathing because I mean, gosh, does it help in so many situations? Yeah, I mean, I think we take it for granted. Obviously, you know, our sympathetic nervous system, or parasympathetic. You know, we have a lot of things that happen automatically in our bodies. That's why it's such an amazing, uh, amazing organism or uh, component of tissue. But we don't use it when we need it. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I talk about when I do a presentation to athletes, I put up a slide that has a rear view mirror and the, the cop lights, uh, police car state trooper lights in the in the mirror and i say you know what happens when the when i oh, i go like this i said i'm sure this hasn't happened to anybody but in, in the event that you were driving down the road and the lights came up behind you what would you do and they all kind of start snickering and laughing and i said what would you do and they go hold the steering wheel look at the speedometer you know uh take my foot off the gas Think about how much money it's going to cost. And I said, and you're not breathing, are you? And they're like, no, no. You know, you stop breathing. And I said, what happens when the car goes by and it's not a, it's pulling you over? You go, oh, you take this big exhale. I said, yes. But that's what happens in, in performance. And that's what happens when we get stressed is that we respond by not breathing. Mm, <laughs> you get yeah. tense, you hold your breath, you don't respond. When actuality, it's like the awareness of that voice, right? The, based on the stimulus of the email, the someone cut you off, whatever that uh, activating event was, the stimulus of that trigger oh, there it is. There's the awareness. There's the voice. Take a breath. Take a couple deep breaths. <sighs> okay. Now your body, your mind-body connection is enhanced. You have a better way in which to deal with that through that pause. Because if you react emotionally, not rationally, that's when you're not breathing. Um, mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, even think about what's the first thing I did before we started recording. You took, yeah, you took some deep breaths. Yeah. I said, just, this is going to be, it's kind of awkward, but I need to take some deep breaths because even for me in 90 episodes into this, I still get like an adrenaline rush going. Well, I thought it was so cool that you centered yourself because you're, you're prep, you're priming yourself to perform and yeah. you know, in and around being a mom, uh, uh, entrepreneur, uh, spouse, tennis player, you know, when you sit down to do this, you need to be in the moment. And the best way to bring ourselves to the present moment is to breathe. Mm, and ground yourself. You know, I learned that in music school mm. <clears throat> through like being, I have a music degree and I would perform. And like, before I would go out on stage to do a solo that I had been working on for months in front of like the music school faculty and everything, oh. Like, and especially a college student, you have 4 million things going through your brain. Yeah. And that's where I learned to do that. Like I needed everyone to leave me alone. Like don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Like don't give me advice. Yeah. I just, 
even like our, you know, we would have a pianist who would accompany us and I would be like, I would tell them, and it usually was someone on staff that was older than us. I'm like, don't, I'm not being disrespectful, but I really don't like to talk backstage. Like, yeah, yeah, you're focused. Yeah. And I think that can go to the classroom too. I want to know how you play on the, you know, what do your teammates on the tennis team think? Leave her alone. Don't talk to her. (laughs) Actually, I do tell them that too. I just like, I don't, I told my coach too, like it, it, when we're doing our warm ups, if he's like trying to correct me a bunch, like that is not going to work. Like I'll start getting down on myself. Like literally just nobody talk to me. Don't touch me. Well, you can feed that, me and that's about it. Back <laughs> to the coach. One thing, you know, this is another thing, but over coaching parents do it. Uh, coaches do it from the sideline. You know, that type of feedback is for practice. Not before match, because before match, the last thing you want to start doing is thinking about stuff that you do automatically without thinking. And now you start thinking about it and it really messes you up. Well, that's why in teaching, I read this book and it's all about how our brains, I read a long time ago, like remember things in threes. And so when I was preparing my students for state testing, I would teach them tricks and things to remember in threes that they could go back to in those nervous times. I'm not going to sit there the hour before the te- a state test and be like, remember this, remember this, remember this. I was more teaching them like techniques of things like, oh, remember when we talked about this, you could do these three things. And mm-hmm. I think that you do see in youth sports a lot of dads constant and coaches just talking all the time. And that is something I respect about my husband is when he speaks in a game, it's really important. Otherwise he stays pretty quiet. Yeah, no, that's, well, I'm glad that Brian does that. You know, I've really enjoyed getting to know the the group of the Blazers uh, uh, players and, and coaches, and it's been really fun, but I, I just really feel like, you know, the intentions are not bad. The intentions are great. They're trying to help. Yep. They don't understand how distracting that can be. You know, I think if you flipped it around and and say that, you know, somebody was, you know, a teacher and teachers in the classroom were saying, oh, you can't, don't hold the pen that way. That's not how you hold the pen. (laughs) You know what? When you go to the blackboard, that is not the right way to clean the blackboard. You have to do this. So, you know, it's it's no different. Too much the feedback loop uh, in those situations is is got to be minimal. And um, yeah. I think to your point about threes, Carrie, that's, that's learning in chunks. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I, my, my mantra, if you will, pitching was stay tall, stay online and finish three mm. things, you know? So I think that we can absorb that. And now that's one thing I love about listening to your podcast is that you have three key points uh somehow you always bring it back to those points which is uh an art um because i've tried as hard as i can to get you off subject (laughs) and uh well thank you that's very kind of you yeah no i just think that three you know learning in threes is is really important i have to say as we wrap this up i think that letting go of consequence is so Um, key to the friendship you and I are developing that, you know, we start talking because honestly you were meeting with the Blazers coaches and and they, you guys were using my zoom account. I was like, just use my account. And so I was getting set up and you're like, Hey, who are you? What's E2E? And we start talking and 
if I was scared of consequence, I'd be like, oh my God, this is Bob Tewksbury. Like, oh my gosh, like people would die to talk to this guy. Like, oh, and I would get all nervous. Instead, I was just authentically who I am. And I saw you as just like another human being with Mm -hmm. really interesting insight and knowledge. And I wasn't worried about the consequence of like, well, is Bob going to think I know what I'm talking about? Or is Bob going to even care what I have to say? And so I just want to encourage all of you to be brave, to make connections with people who you think are interesting, and to not worry so much about the consequence of everything. And I I thank you, Bob. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know you more and absorbing all the things you're teaching through your book, not only as a tennis player, but as an educator myself. So I really appreciate your friendship and, oh, and your time today. I appreciate you, Carrie, and the work that you do in reaching out to all the teachers. And I think to the the consequences also could be judgment. And I think that those words can be, you know, interchanged, if you will, because, you know, you want to be respected, but you're afraid, if you're afraid of being judged, uh, and, and it's not in a good light, uh, because of, you may think that you're not as smart, or, you know, or, or in some fashion, uh, incompetent or something like that, it, it totally can trigger you. And I will say this, my closing thing was everyone's, I tell athletes, everyone has a different path. Um, You know, some people get to the big leagues really quickly. Some people have injuries. Some people get there and stay for a long time. Uh, And everyone has a story. And I think that to understand, you know, to your encouragement of reaching out, to learn about other people's stories and struggles. And that's one thing I like. Another thing I like about this podcast and others is that you can listen to people uh, and their path and their struggle and, and appreciation for what we're all trying to do is the best we can. I love that. I have a quote in front of me from Brian White that says, it's not the days in your life, but the life in your days that counts. Today, I've spent 47 minutes talking to Bob Tewksbury. I think I'm living a lot of life in my day today. Bob, thank you so much. And to all my teacher friends out there, I know it's tough right now. You're almost there. You're getting to the end of this year. And until next time, my friends, keep on teaching on.